0: Good evening again. It is wonderful to be back with you all. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity. And I hope you guys uh, well since we saw you last. And I look forward. I I know currently I get to know of two times I'll be with you again in the future. And I'm already looking forward to that because you're saints. And I should prefer to be with you all. And I should enjoy times when I get together with you all. And look forward to it because it's... It's your strength down here, knowing there's a group and a body of people trying to serve the Lord that I know is down here doing it faithfully even when I'm not down here, in between. And I take encouragement knowing there's other groups like that. Where my brother-in-law Jim's at, I know there's a group in Georgetown that's trying to do what the Lord wants. And I know there's groups out in Illinois where my other brother-in-law are. And I I say that because I think the three of us are lined up for gospel meetings back to back to back. So you're gonna get all of our family all together starting the next year into 2023. So, but, but it's encouraging because there's others out there trying to do what God wants. And that's what I want to talk about tonight as we look at, and as I break your podium here, um, <laughs> The Call of a Revival by Nehemiah. If you want to turn over to your, your Bibles, we're going to stay in pretty much Nehemiah, Nehemiah the entire time. But I want us to consider and think about the fact that we live in hectic times. You know, we often cry when it comes to service of God, I'm too busy. And it's easy for us to get in that mindset that we've got this to do and we've got that to do. And we need to stop and realize the ideal of revival is the ideal of reprioritizing our lives, reviving it, restarting it, or the ideal of bringing it back to life. So when we get going in things and we start getting these hectic times where we start putting God on the back shelf, we need to revive God in our lives and make sure that he is in the front and the foremost, because without him, nothing else matters. So when we go over to Nehemiah here, we think about Nehemiah. He was a busy man. He was in the king's palace. And brethren, his, his brothers come to him in Nehemiah 1-2. One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. How are God's people doing is what Nehemiah asked. Can I ask you that tonight? And we're going to touch on that point again. But how are God's people doing? You know, if we think about it, the answer brought Nehemiah to his knees in confession and prayer. If you'll continue with me in Nehemiah 3, uh, starting a little bit into the verse, going through 11. And they s- said to me, the remnant there in the providence... Who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah's prayer, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. You know, as a result of Nehemiah's prayer and planning here, God opens up an opportunity for his will to be done. The question in Nehemiah is still valid today, just as the people were struggling to rebuild Jerusalem. How are we struggling today? If you think back over the past 18 months, and we liken the church today, and I'm going to use the physical attribute of the building and meeting together, over the past 18 months, we struggled to get that done through the situations that have taken place. And oftentimes, my thought and my prayer... Thinking about people is how are God's people doing right now? And are we satisfied with the progress that we were going through? And I'll say, there were times that I had tears thinking about the fact that brethren weren't meeting and able to meet and to do what they're called to do to worship the God of heaven. But you know, Nehemiah was challenged by this. And God's providence for him was this: and I told them of the hand of my God, and that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah was given the work to go and make this happen. And it took one person to get this going. Okay. Well, what's what's God's plan for us? If we liken ourselves to Nehemiah and the revival that's called for back then today, if you go to Romans 10, 1 through 4, it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, but being ignorant in the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what's that transfer to us to be, though? You know, up there in that sentence, sticking with the vernacular that's used in that, for I bear them witness. So what do we need to do today? We need to be that witness to people of that person that's serving God no matter what. Just like Nehemiah, he was one. But we're going to see what that one was able to do. Look at Paul in his writing to Acts 20 and 26, a couple different places. But Starting in verse 22, 1 through 2, brothers and fathers Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, you know, Paul was addressing them and witnessing to them what they needed to do. In chapter 22 on down 17 through 21, it said, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they won't accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in the synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by in approval and watching over the garments of those who killed me. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And on into chapter 26, Saul gives his conversion there to King Agrippa. So Saul multiple times, took the, Paul took this upon himself to be that one that was giving that witness. So if we look back we have to then think, how does this apply to us? Well, when we could admit to people that we've sinned and desire to be revived, then we can lead God's people in revival like Nehemiah did. Let us rise up and build, Nehemiah 2.18, so they strengthen their hands for the work. And that's what I'd say has taken place a lot of places now. We've People have strengthened their hands and they've got back up and they've They've got things going where, kind of like the wall to this, it, it's starting to be built back. And I'm not saying the church is this building in the place, but just, just stay with me for a minute and you'll see where I'm going with this, okay? There were times where there were buildings you would drive by and they looked abandoned for months on end. Just as the wall of Jerusalem was significant to the people that looked at Jerusalem, a building holds some interest to people that drive by it and we looked like we were vacant. And that call was to revive, and we are starting to do that as a people. God's people are gathering again and meeting again, and people that drive by see this. You know, when you start doing this revival, though, it's going to involve opposition. We had opposition, just like Nehemiah's time. He faced opposition in the time of revival from Sanballat and Tobiah. He faced it from the army of Samaria in Nehemiah 4. And in Nehemiah 6, he faced it from the people in the area because of taxation and duties by the surrounding governments that they were putting on those people at that time. But the man of God put it into God's hand, and he kept on building. It was all led by one, and they got excited about it. And Nehemiah continued to face this opposition over and over and he completed the revival that he started. And if you go on, as you see in the book of Nehemiah, the results were as the wall was completed in less than two months, 52 days. He allowed God's will to work. You know, the people had a mind to work. They were excited. And it, it took that one person to get them going. In Nehemiah 4, 6, the wall was at half its height. Half its height. And in chapter 6 and verse 15, it was complete all by the one person coming back from captivity because he was worried about the state of the nation of Jerusalem. And that's what I want to call to you guys tonight for, is to take each one of you, be a Nehemiah, and be worried about the state of the work of the church. But that's the easy part. You think about getting back together and getting the building so it looks like it's being seen and being in different places finally, and, and you see some life. But here comes the tough part. The real challenge is now getting the revival of the people going. We have to work together and be that one person that draws people to get back going again. Well, in this case, Nehemiah sought out Ezra the priest to read the word that's what started a revival was reading the word you know you could put my lesson away tonight and we could just read the bible and that would get us going but in the time of nehemiah the word was read by ezra starting in chapter 8 verse 1 through 3 and it says and the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate and they told ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law out of moses and that the Lord had commanded of Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seven month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early until morning until midday. All right, so early morning till midday, that's six to 12 hours, depending on how you count that timing. I'm not going to preach that long tonight, okay? We'll be done here. By seven. But they had a mind and a presence to see the importance of this and stand for the reading of this word. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And that's where we got to go. Revival is accomplished through the word by one person with the word. One person getting excited about the word will cause a revival. One father in a home getting excited about the word will cause that family to change. Any of you, as a Christian, being excited about the word will impact someone else to have a change. We have to revive, and we have to keep going. You know, the natural response to the word of God is passionate worship, if someone's truly listening. Consider what Nehemiah 8, 5, and 6 says, When Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it in the people, they stood... And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There was a response when the true word was read. Now I'm not suggesting we get overly excited about the word being read here and hop around or do anything crazy. But does your head come up? Do your ears perk up? Does your mind engage when the word is read to you? Have you got a revival going on yourself, and going to become that Nehemiah that takes it on, because they hungered for the word. Nehemiah eight one through three, and their worship was not act was was active. It wasn't passive. You know, as we just read, they were actively engaged in this. You know, were they, for us it might be like here. You know, they stood up and they raised their hands and they said, Men, "Amen, amen." You know, it might be more likely for us saying we sat up and we got our Bibles and we turned every verse and we followed along and engaged and revived what we're doing here. Because we have to be active if we're going to be that Nehemiah. You know, their worship was a celebration in Nehemiah 8.10. Do we celebrate the fact that we have to come here today? You know, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Do you rejoice and celebrate Sundays? Do you start thinking Saturday night, I need to make sure I get in bed on time so I'm awake on Sunday morning? Do I get my clothes laid out and ironed or pressed or laid out so I know what I'm wearing Sunday morning so that I can get up and be ready to come and be with the people of God and worship the Jesus who died on the cross for us through remembering his supper? Do we get excited about it? Do we celebrate it? And then afterwards we leave here together and we spend time, maybe not as the whole group, in a potluck or something like that every time. But do you, do you think about who you can invite and say, let's go celebrate the day we've just had as they did in the time of Nehemiah? Do we go to lunch with people? Do we, do we spend that time on the day of worship that we give to the God of heaven? Well, I think in the time of revival, there's a couple things that are required. One is Repentance and two is ruthless confession. All right? We have to examine ourselves if we're gonna revive, if we're gonna restart. You know, I love the old find um, thing where the two guys go out and they chase through people's barns and they buy the junk and they take it back and they make something out of it. Um, they revive that stuff. They bring it back to what it was and it's glory and it's time. Well, and sometimes it, it hurts to revive ourselves because we have to look at ourselves and go, you know what, I've not been the husband I should be I've not been kind to my wife. You know, wives don't think I'm picking on husbands, and husbands don't think I'm just picking on us, but uh, it's easier for me to pick on myself than my wife, especially since she's here. So, are we examining ourselves? Are we thinking about that? Are we, you know, have I been the father I should be this week? Did I, did I teach my kids? Did I lead them? You know, did I not exasperate them and, and, and cause them to, to be embittered, you know? Am I doing these things? It takes some self-inflection. But listen to the people here in Nehemiah 9, 1 through 3. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in the place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. So for twelve hours, these people stood and examined themselves and made confession on what they were doing. And if you want to talk about a way to start a revival, to bring yourself back to life, these people did it. They knew what needed to be done here to become revived in the Lord. You know, confession of sin must be made to, by all who desire to be justified and have favor with God. John one, or first John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to pull out that X-ray machine and look at ourselves. We have to see what's going on. We have to be transparent, and we have to be ready to move stuff out of our lives. You know, one of the biggest things that happens on that show when you're watching this, there'll be some great car find or something, and and this guy will be like, man, this looks great, and he'll go, and he'll go, but if it's a 67 Camaro, he'll go, but that's the interior from a 68. It's got to go. It's not worth anything if it's not right. Well, we may have to do that. We may have to look at ourselves and go, that's not right. Get it out of here. But all of this, okay, all of this goes back to the one thing. It was started by one man who wept over the state of Israel and was sent to start the revival. One man believing that God would do what he said he would do started the revival in Nehemiah's time. One man, one woman, one Christian sitting in here can start a fire that's even bigger than what's going on right now here by believing that God is capable of doing what he said he could do with a group of the Lord's people. You know, even when revival was underway, Nehemiah still had opposition. You know, we have to follow his example and take God at his word and turn a deaf ear to the naysayers. Someone tells us we can't meet, we may not have to listen to that. We can't not do what the Lord has said. If they tell us that, name the sin right now, homosexuality or transgenderism or or anything right now that's a social hot button right now is right, we have to turn a deaf ear to that and say, no, God's word says this. Because opposition will come if you try to do what the Lord wants you to do. Nehemiah's revival was contagious one man's ruthless confession about the state of Israel started a tidal wave of a revival in those people. And the people came clean with each other. Okay, And they stood before each other and said, we we need to do this or we need to do that, whatever it is. I, I don't know you all that well, so I'm not picking on any one thing I know about anything. I'm just saying, if you're doing okay, you can do better. You can revive, to, you're striving for that newness, that perfection of being what the Lord's people are to look like in the church. But here's where I'm going to give you some, some challenges, okay? And, and you may say when I leave, huh, John's gone now, forget what he said. But I want to encourage this, is, is maybe something that would set a, a fire in you. And, and this is going to sound outside the box, but think about what Nehemiah 38 says here. In Nehemiah 38, it says, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes and our Levites and our priests. I challenged back where I preach all the time. I had a pew Bible up here with me. And I held that up and I said, I want to challenge you because this is significant. We'll sign other things. We'll document and we'll say we're willing. We'll complete this mortgage. We'll complete these terms. We'll complete this. people signed the word right here saying they were going to do what God's law said I said who will sign this with me and I wrote Nehemiah 9.38 and the date and my name in the back of that pew Bible and I left it up there as a call for everybody to say you know what we take this serious nothing says it's defaming anything but I challenge you would that be something as a group you want to consider it's a declaration that says I'm that serious about it I don't know. I just throw that out for food for thought, okay? Now the other thing, when you look at this in Nehemiah 10:39, it says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, and as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, they will not neglect the house of God. They also revived making sure everything that was needed to take care of the work of the Lord's was provided. Just be mindful of that. Always check where you're at, you know. Take that mirror, take that tape measure, and hold up the standard, in that case the Bible, and see, are you measuring upright? Well, the other thing that may help, when you think about what was Nehemiah's response over in verses 3 through 11, as soon as Nehemiah had heard these words, he wept, he mourned, and he continued fasting. I don't know if you've studied fasting lately, but every place you read about it and think about it in the Bible, it's a, when you do this. It doesn't really sound like it's optional if you want to. There's kind of an implied inference that people of God would fast. Maybe you as a group, and I challenge the group where I'm at, so I'm just speaking hypothetically. Maybe you as the group call and say, The next three Sundays, we're going to, before our meeting, because I think you guys have one coming up too, and that's what sparked some of this thought process for me. As I was thinking about this, of reviving and getting back to life. But maybe the next three Fridays you fast about your upcoming meeting. And I I told the group where I preach, I said, I'm not saying it has to be food. I'm taking the term of the word fast here as in doing without something. Okay, so do without something and replace it with God for the day. You know, food may not be an option for you. Depending on your health, whatever it is, may not be an option. But I'd say if we took your cell phone away for a day or social media for a day and every time you thought about getting on social media and looked there, you stopped and you prayed for your meeting, you might be surprised what will take place at your meeting. Praying fast. I don't know. Maybe... I think it'd work, but I'm just throwing ideals out for you because I'm not a part here, so I don't want to sound like I'm telling you what to do, but I want to give you some ideas of what may make your meeting even better. Revive it. Act like Nehemiah. Be that one person to set this place on fire between now and the time of your meeting and revive the work that's going on in the Lord's church. A couple key points, though, just to touch on them again. Until we own up and make our attentions known publicly, and confess what's been holding us back, we'll never get get lit on fire. We got to let each other know. We got to be like those Israelites that stood for a quarter of the day confessing to one another. I've been doing this. I haven't been taking opportunity to talk to my coworkers about the Lord, or I've been not stepping out of the room when they maybe start talking in ways that I shouldn't be a part of. And I'm just know, yeah, I'm not telling them they shouldn't, but I'm not joining in, you know. What, what's going to be the change that sets us on fire, that makes us revive and brings us back to that state of being what the Lord wants us to be? You know, when a person has courage to come down the aisle and be an example of revival and say those words, I've sinned, have you noticed that's gotten few and farther between? I can, I've seen it happen once in maybe the past six weeks, but before that, it had been a long time since I'd seen someone come down the aisle and actually admit they needed help in prayer from the group. We need to revive. We need to become that Nehemiah. You know, no wonder, with strong confession, this book is the one that proclaims the joy of the Lord is your strength in Nehemiah 8.10. My question is, what's, what's our joy? Can we say that tonight? Could we Could we sing that song that I've heard, The Joy of the Lord is Your Strength? I can think of the chorus running through my head that I've heard before. Can we say that with an amen behind it because we believe that? Are we revived in such a way that a fire is burning within us that we're going to revive what the work needs to be here? I hope you, I leave and you guys go, oh, Where are you doing this. I don't know, all right? So please don't take this as I'm trying to fuss or pick on something or, or say something because I know I'm wanting this to cause you to go, okay, I'm good, but I can be better. You know what? I'm better, but I can be outstanding. And you know what? Now that I'm truly doing what the Lord wants, I'm on fire because it's that important. Don't let anything get between you and heaven. Don't turn cold. Don't let go of the word. Don't stop pressing all the things that we hear of in the pages of the Bible. Hold on to the Bible. Follow it in every way. and Keep working for the Lord. Revive like Nehemiah and those people did. You know, tonight, thank you for your patience. I appreciate your attention and I appreciate your time. And we have that chance now. We have a chance to if we're struggling and you all know each other better if you're struggling with something you want the prayers of the group make it known don't be embarrassed don't think oh I can't let someone know I can't let someone know I'm having trouble at work I can't let someone know that I'm having trouble in my relationship because the first start of fixing it is letting it be known so that you can let it go and start reviving and building and correcting it Or there may be some here that just haven't obeyed the gospel. You know, tonight, I I think you've heard the word. We haven't talked necessarily about obeying the gospel right out of the scriptures, but but it's a principle. You have to let go of yourself. You have to hear the word. You have to believe it. Because of that, you're going to confess and repent because you shouldn't be doing those things. Then you're going to be buried in baptism. And I'm sure probably there's water behind this curtain. I've never looked, but I'm guessing that's where it's at. I said that one time when I looked back behind the curtain and I didn't realize they were cleaning it and there was no water that night before. But but if not, we can get that taken care of too. We can find some water. But if you need to obey the gospel, don't, don't wait. You know, Nehemiah learned this and he got up and he acted. Don't put off. Cling to the Lord and don't let anything get in your way. And you'll be the Nehemiah that we just read about tonight. So if you need to do or say anything tonight and need our help at all, please come as we stand and sing.